Thanks so much, Jen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning to those watching online. And today we continue the series that we will be following uh, for the next six or seven weeks. Uh, it's called Jesus, the One and Only. And this morning we're considering Jesus, who is Lord. Let's pray. Lord, some of us have known you a long time. Some of us, Lord, just known you a short while, and some of us don't really know you yet. We pray, Lord, that because of today, because you will speak to us and meet with us, that we will know you better, all of us, and that we will know you as our Lord. Amen. Who do you say that Jesus is? It's a question that Jesus once asked his disciples. Who do, who do people say that I am? And it's a, it's a question that confronts us all. We have to make a decision who we believe this Jesus is, and then secondly, how we will respond to him. I came across this week a few unusual descriptions or titles that have been given to Jesus. I went on TikTok for the first time, and there there's something where someone says, Jesus is my jam. I didn't know what that meant. I asked someone when I came into church. They weren't sure either. Jesus is my jam. Someone else said, Jesus is my homie. Well, I know what that means, but it's slightly patronizing. Someone else said, Jesus is my GPS. Okay. And uh, I came across a bumper sticker that said, Jesus is my airbag. I guess they're to sort of protect me in a crash. Well, he may be all of those, but he's certainly far more than that. Doubting Thomas, you'll remember, didn't believe the disciples when they said, we have seen the Lord and he is risen. He didn't believe. And he said, unless I put my hands in the holes, in the wounds left there by the nails and the spear, I won't believe. I can't possibly believe. This is absurd. And then just a few days later, as they were gathered together, Jesus appears in the middle of them. And Jesus comes to Thomas and with care and love and tenderness, no rebuke whatsoever, he said, Thomas, touch. Put your finger there. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas's response was the response that we need to make to Jesus. He fell and worshipped him and said, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. The title Lord is used over 700 times in the New Testament for Jesus. The word Lord has a, a, a sort of spectrum of meanings, everything from sort of master to God. But always when it's used in religious language, it refers to divinity to deity, to God. In the Old Testament, God's name is revealed as Yahweh or Yehovah. And uh, it was so exalted and so sacred and so holy 
that the Orthodox Jews felt that they couldn't utter that word. So in its place, they used the word Adonai, the word Lord. And God was referred to several thousand times in the Old Testament as Lord. In the Greek version of the Old Testament, as Kyrios. When the New Testament, when Christians speak of Jesus as Lord, they're not simply showing respect. It's not an honorary title. It is a recognition that he is God. He has the name which is above all names. He is Lord. He is God. And I want us to think just briefly this morning about a few aspects of his lordship. First, Jesus' lordship was clearly demonstrated. In the ancient world, the Greek god Atlas strains to hold up the heavens. He's depicted straining, holding it up. And Hercules is depicted straining every muscle and sinew and tendon just pumped, holding up the globe of the earth. I love that image presented by the medieval nun, Mother Julian, who had a picture of Jesus as a child just holding the earth like an acorn. And he, the eternal logos, the power behind the universe, the one who sustains it with his powerful word, is the one incarnated in a virgin's womb and born to become a man to represent us and to die in our place. It's extraordinary. It's unfathomable. Jesus did impossible things and he did them effortlessly. And he defied the laws of nature and physics as we know them because he makes them. He was Lord over creation. In the Psalms, it says about God that he stilled the storm to a whisper and the waves of the sea were hushed. Well, Jesus came and he trod on the raging sea and he calmed it with a word. It was mind-blowing to these scared fishermen. And when the fishermen had been out all night and caught nothing, Jesus, the carpenter, gets on the boat and says, this is how you do it. Put your nets there. And suddenly, more fish than they'd ever known swam into the nets. He commands creation because he's the creator of creation. He is Lord. And when that happened, Peter falls down and worships him and says, step away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He knows that here with him on his boat is the Lord. He was Lord over sickness. He healed all who came to him. Word went out that here is someone like no one else. And if you bring your trouble to him, he can deal with it. And they brought their sick. They carried them from miles around. And with a word and a whisper and a look and a touch, he healed them all. Nothing was beyond his care and his power and his compassion. Mutes and lepers and the crippled and the deaf and the blind. He healed them all. Who is this Jesus? As I said last week, even his enemies recognized he had power to heal. 
And he was Lord over the demonic, evil shadows that grip personalities and their minds and their souls. With a word, he broke their power and dispelled this darkness that tormented them. And Lord over sin, he forgave those who had sinned. And the Pharisees, the religious, understood this. Who can forgive sin but God alone? It's blasphemy for you to pronounce forgiveness. It is blasphemy for him to pronounce forgiveness unless he's God against whom sin is done and he can forgive. And oh, how he loves to forgive sin and clean people up. Lord, over the spiritual, he asserted himself over Moses and the Torah, the Old Testament, and the law. He said, you've heard that it was said, but I say unto you. He presented himself as one with authority to interpret the law and indeed to bring a new law. Who does that? Jesus said he was greater than the temple and that he was Lord of the Sabbath. These things are extraordinary. In fact, they're blasphemy or insanity unless they're true. Now, you who are here at church today, you're almost certainly committed and believing in these things. There may be people watching this morning, and you don't really know who Jesus is. I encourage you, you've got to examine him. Examine the claims. Examine his life. Examine what Christians say. Perhaps join an Alpha course. Just Google it. There's, there's plenty online. Look at our website and find out who this Jesus is. Because until you do, you'll never be forgiven never be free, and never be fulfilled. And he's Lord over death. Jesus had the power to reverse the curse of the fall and to bring life out of death, something beautiful out of the shroud of cobwebs that entangles us. He raised the old men, he raised the young children. The power over life and death. And he promises us who trust in him that he will raise us up with him at the last. So Lord, over nature and the spiritual and the moral and the physical and the historical and the eternal, who is this? This is Jesus. And who is Jesus? He is Lord and God. C.S. Lewis, the Oxford Don and well-known author, famously presented an argument like this. He said to those who say, well, I like Jesus, I think he's a good egg, and I appreciate his wonderful moral life, and I accept part of his teaching, and you know, so on, but I don't think he's Lord, and I don't think he's God. Well, you can't have one without the other. And Lewis says this, you've got to make a choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else he's a madman, or worse, he's evil. You can shut him up for a fool, or you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher or moral example. He hadn't left that open to us. He acted like God. He claimed to be God. He received worship as God. He forgave sins like God. Who is he? Is he Lord and God? Secondly, Jesus' lordship is challenged. Some of you will know that it was Hitler's express aim to rule the Third Reich from here in Oxford. The Luftwaffe were forbidden to bomb it. 
And he actually wanted to make his home Blenheim Palace, where his nemesis Churchill had been born. He wanted as his throne to be that which was the home of Churchill. The demonic from ancient days sought to usurp the Lord's throne. He wanted the honor that went to Christ. He wanted the seat, the throne in heaven that Christ sat on. He wanted the power that Christ had. And for eons, the demonic has sought to work against, to undermine, to usurp, and to supplant Jesus. Still to this day, that dark power is at work through individuals and ideologies and institutions, subverting the rule and reign of Jesus, wanting to be Lord. At Jesus' birth, when the Magi declared their desire to worship, they'd come from afar, perhaps even China. And they came after this long journey of a year and a half to worship the one-born King of the Jews, to worship the Lord. The demonic in fear seeks to kill all the children. And Herod rose up to do that, wanting Jesus removed from the scene. In Jerusalem, the Jewish elite, 30 years later, arrested, and with the Roman powers, with the consul Pilate, had Jesus executed. Why? Because they don't want him exercising his power. They want to exercise power in his place. In AD 60, the infamous Emperor Nero gave himself the title Lord of the Whole Earth. Blasphemy, Lord of the Whole Earth, and wanted everyone to come and worship him and offer votive sacrifices and offerings to him as Lord. The Christians, they couldn't do it. How could they? They've got a Lord, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. They can't worship this nut. And so they said, no. And Nero had them turned into food for the lions or torches that were covered in tar and lit up at night to light his gardens. It's the very absolute claim of Jesus that is so provocative and challenging and offensive to rival powers. Who is this Jesus? Jesus is Lord is a supremely political statement. And it challenges and puts in its place every other authority, structure, and personality under him. That's why all forms of totalitarianism have persecuted Christians and have sought to remove Jesus from the scene. They want to be in his place. They want to live in his palace. And whether it's Nazism or communism or Islamism or humanism or what Pope Benedict called the dictatorship of relativism. All of these protest that Jesus is Lord because that is an absolute claim. February 2015, ISIS beheaded 20 migrant workers. They were all Egyptian Christians from the Coptic church. They were all given a chance to renounce Jesus as Lord and embrace Islam and go free. And they all said, no thanks, that ain't no offer. And all of them publicly 
They attempted to humiliate them, and yet those who've seen the images and know the story, what dignity they had. They all knelt, and they were all savagely beheaded. You know what were the last words? You can hear it on the video. The last words they all utter as they were killed. Yarabi Yasu. Oh, my Lord Jesus. What a welcome they instantly received in heaven. There was a 21st person, another there, there were 20 Egyptians. There was another chap from Ghana, wasn't a Christian. And they said to him, you can go free. He said, I don't want to. Their God is my God. Their God is my God. Their Lord is my Lord. And he joined them in heaven. There are powers that seek to oppose and suppress and remove the lordship of Christ. And they're demonic. And ultimately, they will be defeated. Here's the wonderful irony that despite all of this, these powers that seek to put Christ away, and suppress Christianity. According to Al Jazeera, 16,000 Muslims convert to Christianity in the Middle East every day, and 20,000 communists in China every day see that Jesus is Lord. One day the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Thirdly, Jesus' Lordship will be consummated. The writer to the Hebrews says this, in putting everything under his feet, a symbol that he has absolute sovereignty and power, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present we do not see everything subject to him. No, we don't at present. He is Lord, but there is a space before he returns and exercises his complete lordship and in that space, we have freedom to choose whether we will accept him as my Lord and my God. Many do and many don't. But the day is set when he will return. And he who in his first coming and appearing came as a weak, dependent infant born in a humble stable will return magnificently and gloriously and resplendent, robed in his divinity and majesty and power and beauty. Trumpets will sound, the heavens will be rent, the Lord will appear, myriad and myriad of angels, the dead will rise, they will be brought to him, he'll be seated on a throne and he will judge the living and the dead. What a day that's going to be. And those martyrs lead in the, from the front. In our reading that Jen brought us, the Apostle Paul says this, God exalted Jesus to the highest place, his eternal Father. It's a mystery, the Trinity. But from all eternity, God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And Jesus is the Son made flesh. And he, God exalted him to the highest place, not the second, the highest place, and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
This is not a name that's conferred upon him. It's a name that's confirmed. It's already his eternally. It's why Elizabeth, when Mary, bearing the Christ child, came to see Mary, Mary said, who am I that the mother of my Lord should come and see me? He was the eternal Lord in the womb. And it says, every knee will bow. It's a kind of metaphor, but I also think it's true about humility and service and recognition and honor. Every person who's ever lived, every knee, high-born and low and prehistoric and postmodern and male and female and good and bad, myriad on myriad, mile upon mile of people all coming and bowing the knee to Jesus as Lord. And you know, I like to think that it's not just every person. It's every, he says every knee will bow. Why not every creature that's got knees? Elephants have got two back knees. I reckon all them elephants will be kneeling. Bees have knees. They do. Uh, billions of bees all buzzing and kneeling and worshipping. And birds have knees. You know that? Spiders have got 48 knees. Hundreds of crickly little spikes, they're all kneeling. Nature recognizes its creator. That's what I think. One day, his lordship will be consummated. And then finally, his lordship here and now needs to be appropriated. We need to take it and receive it and respond rightly to it. What does it mean for Thomas to say Jesus is Lord? As I said, it's a title for divinity, my Lord and my God. And listen, it's not just the Lord and the God. And it's not just, O Lord and O God. It's my Lord. It's personal. He owns it and responds personally to it. It's not just an objective truth. It's a subjective reality in his own life. Ever thereafter, he is going to live for Jesus who is Lord. And he actually goes and becomes a missionary to India, and is martyred in Madras. There's a wonderful church founded there of old. The Dutch Prime Minister, formerly, and brilliant mind, Abraham Kuyper, said this, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. What does it mean to be Lord? It means you're His. If you say, my Lord, he says, you're mine. And he rules our life with love. In love, says Lewis, he claims all because he knows best and wants the best that he wants all of us so he can make the best of us. And so your career and your ambitions and your plans and your relationships and your money and your time and your lifestyle, everything, if you say Jesus is Lord, that's what it means. He's in charge. What is a Christian? Not someone who goes to church. You know, I can go in my garage. It doesn't make me a car. Or a greenhouse. It doesn't make me a tomato. You can come to church. It doesn't make you a Christian. What is a Christian? Christian is someone who says Jesus is Lord and lives Jesus is Lord. My Lord, my God, my boss, my sovereign, my ruler, my king, my majesty, him. In love he claims all. I have a great friend in New Zealand 
called Mick Duncan. He came from a school, he came home rather from school to find a letter on his bed. He was just, I think about 11 or 12, a letter from, on his bed from his mum saying, I've left. Have a good life. And that was that. Brought up by his sister, managed to get through school, but without parents, without love, without support, without framework for doing life right. He fell into drugs and uh, uh, he, he got to university, but he was heavy on psychedelic drugs. And in fact, he got kicked out of university because he sat his exams high on LSD and uh, the coursework and material didn't reach the required standard. It wasn't enlightened, you know. He ended up on the streets and he was there for two years. He says for two, he was a drug dealer in order to fuel his drug use. And he was on such terrible mind-bending drugs that he has a blank of two years of his life. And he meets people occasionally who tell him that they met him and things that he did. But he has no memory. His brain was frazzled by the drugs. One day he met a Christian on the street. And the Christian said, come home with me. And the Christian took this drug addict, this man who'd lived on the streets, filthy for two years, and he gave him his own apartment. He said, you can live here and I'll go and squat with my friends. And he had this room and a bed and a table, and on the table was a Bible. He began reading the Bible, and he read it over and over again. And as he read it, he's confronted by Jesus. Who is Jesus? And he says this, for nine months he wrestled with a decision, should I follow Jesus? Every day he'd read about him. Every day he'd walk around Hagley Park in Christchurch. Some of you may know it, lovely place. He said this, I knew that Jesus wasn't there just for a life over, to make my life over, to polish it up and clean it up. He must be Lord. And finally Mick says, in that room given to me, I got down on my knees and I said to King Jesus, I now pledge my troth, my loyalty to King Jesus, and my life will now be governed by an obedience that will come before all other obediences. Jesus is Lord. There will now occur an allegiance shift at the very core of my being, and no matter what it costs, my life will be governed by a leader, Jesus. He said he got up off the floor. The Spirit of God filled the room. It filled him. It cleaned him. It transformed him. Now he's a wonderful man. He'd been a missionary in Manila, working with the poorest of the poor, and is a professor teaching theology. My Lord and my God. Jesus doesn't just want to make your life over. He wants to come and rule your life. Do you know him? as your Lord and your God.